0: Welcome to the Church on a Hill podcast. This is Pastor Corey Lahery. And the Church on a Hill podcast is a ministry of Palouse Federated Church in Palouse, Washington. We are glad you joined us for this podcast and we hope that that this will bless you. Hi friends, thanks for joining us wherever you're listening whether it's online or a podcast. We're glad you could be listening to this series. In Revelation, And today we have another encouraging message from the book of Revelation, this revealing of God's plan, God's plan for you, the church, the future. And today we are in Revelation as we continue our series. And I'm not going to do a lot of background before I read it. I'm just going to read you Revelation 10. And let's, let's hear the word of God together. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head. And his face was like the sun, and his legs like pillars of fire. He had a little scroll open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land and called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring. When he called out, the seven thunders sounded. And when the seven thunders had sounded, I I was about to write. But I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up what the seven thunders have said, and do not write it down. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven, and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it, that there would be no more delay but that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me again saying, go, take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, Take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And I was told, You must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, dear Lord. For you are truly our rock and redeemer. You alone should we rightly fear. We should be in deep awe of you, O Lord. You alone should we found our life upon. You alone should we fully follow. Lord, I pray for your people listening to this, for whoever is listening, that they would pray as they listen, that they would give their mind, their heart to you as they listen to your word and to this message. Help them to have this listening experience as an act of worship towards you. And I ask that you would help them to pray for others who listen and pray for me and others who preach your word, Lord, that we would rightly declare you, that you would be honored. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, one of the points in Revelation is that we rest in God, that God is in control, God is sovereign, as we talked about last week. there's, There's resting in Revelation, and we're called to rest in god's revelation god's control god's plan so we see resting in the book of revelation or interludes between some of the major actions the unfolding judgments right there's been a deluge of of judgments we've seen the four horses of the apocalypse we've seen the, the the six seals broken the the six trumpets blown but now we have a pause like we had a pause before with the hundred and forty-four thousand and that image we have a pause today and we see an image of a mighty angel with a little scroll and some seven thunders from heaven that we don't know what they are and and this is a rest or an interlude from the major action and you know revelation is given as, as a gift, but it's, it's not given for some things. I don't believe Revelation is given because God wanted us to over-speculate about it, right? And it's not given because God wants us to find a hidden message. It's not given as a book to decode. Uh, we are using the straightforward approach, the ancient approach as we come to the book of Revelation, uh, hearing it, reading it, receiving it, Uh, and not trying to over-speculate or decode it. And we're resting in uncertain certainty. Meaning that when there are things that are not described, then we're uncertain of who's this angel or what's going on here. We're resting that God certainly knows and he's certainly in control. We're resting in uncertain certainty, right? that that if John wanted to describe something to us in more detail, and the Spirit had allowed him, he could do that, right? And so we we want to avoid, when something is uncertain, we want to avoid trying to be certain about it. And that's what some people do in their speculation and revelation. We don't know what the locusts are exactly in the previous chapter, so we want to speculate about it so we can control and understand it. But rather than do that, we're called to read, to listen, to receive, and to rest in the certainty that God is in control. And there's some things that are bigger than we can understand or unfold. Who is this angel? Is it Michael or Gabriel? I read in commentaries this week and many speculate on it. Or is it even Christ? What it says, the certainty of what it says is that it's a mighty angel. And the uncertainty about, well, which one is it? It's okay that I don't know. Just rest in being uncertain of the name of this angel. And the certainty that God knows, and this is a mighty angel, right? So we don't need to know why John doesn't name the angel for us, right? He simply describes the angel. He doesn't name the scroll. We could speculate whether the scroll was the Lamb's book of life or something, but he doesn't tell us. He just says that it's a little scroll. And John is okay with, and he is okay with the churches he's communicating this to not knowing some of these details, not communicating some of the details of the things he sees. And we can rest in that uncertainty or or that not knowing because we know the certainty that God is in control. So the mighty angel, who do I understand the mighty angel to be? A mighty angel, right? That's the straightforward approach. Now some have speculated and see this as a picture of Christ. I I don't see that. I think it would be much more obvious to us if it was and also we see this mighty angel raising his hand and swearing an oath to God and that doesn't make sense if this is the son of God right instead this is a mighty angel and the picture we're given is him straddling land and sea one foot on the land one foot on the sea and an an angel the very word angel means servant or messenger he's a servant or messenger of God and he's beautiful he's he's wrapped in a cloud there's a rainbow over his head his face is like the sun his His legs like pillar of fire. He has a loud, roaring voice. Uh, And all these things are impressive, right? But this angel still works for God. So we have this mighty, gigantic angel with all of this beautiful description, but God is far, far mightier. Rest in the certainty of God's might. And this angel swears to God, right? This angel is not worthy of worship and wouldn't want to be worshiped. He serves the God who is worthy to be worshiped. And this angel gives an important message. In verse 6, the the mighty angel swears to the voice in heaven who we take to be God, right? That there will be, quote, no more delay. No more delay. We see in the book of Revelation that God has been patient. God has been patient throughout the ages of human history, allowing people time to repent and turn to him, believe in him. But God also is allowing people to live selfishly. He's being patient. But there will come a time when time is out, when there is no more delay. Maybe you, at some point in your life, have taken a timed test, and the teacher eventually says, time's up, pencil's down, and you still had more math problems to do. You had more to write. And that's not a good feeling. But friends, friends, It's a much worse situation with life. This is not a test. This is life. Our lives come to an end one day. History will come to an end one day. There is a time coming when there will be, personally or for history, no more delay. Delay is a way of life for some people. They delay their taxes. The government delays dealing with the debt. Right? We delay having important conversations. We push off things for another day. So much unfinished business in the world, right? But there is a time where there will be no more delay. And part of the gift, the, the purpose of Rev- Revelation, the gift of Revelation is to promote this honest, healthy urgency that we should have as human beings that we often don't have. Because we as human beings, are all too okay at times with being content, with blowing through our days and pretending as if an end won't come for us. And it can come for any one of us like a thief in the night, right? A sudden heart attack or a quick disease that takes us or an accident. We, we prefer to pretend like there's always a tomorrow, that we're going to die as very old people asleep sleeping in our bed, right? Comfortably. But there will be a point where there is no more Delay. Now, honestly, every day that I've woken up, the sun is coming up and, and you know, so it's easy to fall into this, that there's always another chance. There's always another day. But God is honest in telling us there will be a day where there is no more delay. So do not presume or make assumptions based on God's delay. Because he's being honest here and telling us a, there is a point where you need to know it's all coming to an end. And that's true for each one of us too. But in the meantime, God does have a point in delaying for our sakes, right? He's giving people time to repent, even if they won't. So we should ask ourselves in the life that we have, is there something in my life that I need to say to myself, no more delay, no more delay. I can't push it off. I shouldn't push it off anymore. It's carpe diem time, right? It sees the day. Is there something I need to repent of? Is there a relationship I need to pursue reconciliation of? Is there a calling that God has put on my heart but I've been pushing off and denying? No more delay. All right, well, let's delay no longer at looking at the seven thunders. The seven thunders, they, they're given, right? In a sense, to John hears them, But then he stopped from writing them down to share what the seven thunders said, the messages they said. But then he allows the audience, the churches and us, the future church, to know that something was said. And this teaches us that there are secrets that are God's. There is much that is not ours to know. Even in the Garden of Eden, there was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and it was not for Adam and Eve to eat that fruit. They were told not to eat that fruit. They wanted to eat that fruit, right? And They shouldn't have. But they did, and we do. We want to know what is not ours to know. But we need to know that God is in charge of telling us what is good to reveal to us. As Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord. We are not able to know all things. We think we are able to know more than is really healthy for us. So let's think about this story. Why do we know that we do not know, you know? (laughs) Why is God telling John something and then telling John to tell us that he's not allowed to tell us? Does that make sense? Why do we know that this even happened? Why did God allow John to, to hear it but not tell us what was happening? It's interesting, right? That John passes on an account of something That we can't know. Because I don't know about you, but when I hear about a story and then somebody stops and says, you know what, I better not tell that story. It's not for everybody to know. I want to know that story even more. That's what we as human beings want, right? We want to know even more because we don't know. And part of being a human is admitting that we don't like not knowing in in many ways. And, And some of that's really good for our curiosity and for improving our lives. But, If we think or we pretend that we can know it all or know things that are really not healthy for us, right? it can be a very dangerous issue. For example, should we have learned how to create the nuclear bomb? Is that good for us to know that? Well, we can debate the ethics of that, I guess, but my point is not knowing some things can be a gift. Now, I'm not talking about lazy ignorance of choosing to... To not know uh, things that you are responsible for knowing, right? The ignorance is bliss mantra that's really just used to avoid doing the hard things or the responsibilities in life is not what we're talking about here. I'm talking about really the reverse of the original sin of the Garden of Eden, right? Uh, that, that we should be okay learning the lesson that, yeah, God knows what we should know and, and not know. Now, let's think that, that God loves us. He wants the best for us. He's not, he's not snubbing us and saying, you can't be curious or you can't uh, pursue education. But to Adam and Eve and to us, God is giving us healthy limits of obedience, healthy limits of knowledge. He tells us the truth that we are not God and we don't know how to ultimately define good and evil, Right? We're told not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They, they, they're not to think that they can even know how to define good and evil. To, they're to receive that. And, and Jesus says he doesn't, he doesn't know some things, and therefore we don't. Jesus, the Son of God, doesn't even know the day or hour of his return. Jesus tells the church, you know, you're not to separate the wheat from the weeds, right? You're not to know completely who is saved and who is not, and different Christians in different ages think they can know with certainty some things that the scriptures are not telling us to know with certainty. Isn't it dangerous if the church knew exactly who was saved and who was not? There are people that are in in sanctuaries around our country right now worshiping God who maybe haven't surrendered their lives to Him. And there are people outside the building somewhere who are beating their chest, confessing their sin and, and pleading to God for forgiveness who do have a relationship with him. He knows, we don't. And, and there's this healthy, this kind of healthy and humbling not knowing is what I'm trying to say. Right? Not knowing. And indeed, not knowing is also about awe and trust. And these are themes of revelation. We see, we see pictures of the heavenly throne room where people are, and angels are in awe of God. And when you're in awe of God, that, that, that of course leads to worship of God. And being in awe that there's things that I cannot know, my mind cannot conceive or perceive or cannot handle knowing some things, that actually should lead me to worship that God is in control and God knows. Right? Awe leads to worship. This is a theme of revelation trust leads to mission as John sees that we should be in awe of this amazing God over heaven and earth that is worthy of our worship this deepens our trust to then go and serve him in our daily lives to go and bless people and share the good news as we are in awe of God more we become people who worship and praise God and and long to honor God, and this also gives us the security, the peace to trust God to do what he's calling us to do, to not fear to, to the, the forces out there in the world for them in the ancient times, Rome or whoever, but to trust that God is in control of history and my life. Awe and trust. Now, an unhealthy relationship to knowledge can actually undermine awe and therefore undermine healthy trust and we in our age are gluttons for knowledge and so-called information but when we pursue knowledge and information for the sake of security or control this can be vanity the book of ecclesiastes in the old testament tells us that a lot of life is vanity when we're when we're pursuing you know when we're pursuing things that taste good or when we're pursuing beauty uh, or when we're pursuing knowledge but it's all for just selfish reasons. This is vanity. And at the end of Ecclesiastes, the writer of the book says, in Ecclesiastes 12, the end of the matter all has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. That's what it all boils down to is God, we should be in awe of God and God knows the truth of what is going on and we should revere God and try to obey God to love God and love others right this is the duty of mankind not to try to know all things or control all things that's vanity right whether it's knowing all the business of your family right or knowing and mastering trivial data uh, right that is not the point of life fearing God even when we're uncertain of understanding the Trinity and all its depths We know that God is beyond what we can understand. And we're in awe of him. And this is also the lesson that God gave Job. Job wanted an audience with God after he'd suffered. And he he wanted to kind of tell God his arguments for why he should not have suffered in the way he did. But then God speaks to Job near the end of the book from a whirlwind. And God revealed to Job how much Job didn't know. Job 38, God says, starting with verse two, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. And at a certain point, Job puts his hand on his mouth and admits that he should not have spoke. But then later in Job 42, he also says, I have uttered. What I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Let's rest in the uncertain certainty that God is certainly trustworthy and he is worthy to be worshiped and he knows the things that we cannot know. And yeah, we can pursue knowledge and we can research things and learn about his beautiful creation, of course but let's rest in him. There are things too, too wonderful or too awful for me to know. So yeah, pursue knowledge for curiosity, pursue knowledge to improve how we can serve people, pursue knowledge or science or education to, to be in awe of God more. That's what many in the past have done. That's how Sir Isaac Newton did science, right? But, but knowledge that we pursue to gain so that we can have, to, to, whether it's to boast in our degrees or just to be smarter than other people or to gossip because I have information on others or, or to promote ourselves or to just for profit, these things are unhealthy. And even, can I say, when it comes to religious knowledge, to Bible knowledge, like the Pharisees of the old or like many Christians today who accumulate and consume biblical knowledge, but they're really just gluttons of religion and gluttons of, uh, uh, of scripture in a way, but not allowing scripture to teach them to love and obey. Right. So there are people who are swollen with Christian information and facts who've not healthily grown into the likeness of Christ swelling is very different than growth we're called to grow into the likeness of christ not swell with self-righteousness and and knowledge right and and when we when we consume a lot of things that are in the bible but we don't become like the god of the bible more and more in, in in loving people and and serving people it we are receiving a version of christianity that's far different and far less from what god is offering and when we do that we're not only consuming the wrong thing we're we're starving or becoming famished for the right thing. We're becoming famished for awe. And if we're famished for awe of God because we haven't been consuming the, the, the truth and being uncertain with the things that we need to be uncertain with and just be in awe that God is in control. If we're famished with awe because we have knowledge that we think we can control and we have we perfectly understand revelation that if you're famished for awe, that reduces Greatly, the amount of trust you have in your life to go outside the so-called safe confines of the church, right? And to serve God and love your neighbor and share the good news. And what we see in, in the modern church in the West is a church that's famished for awe, right? Starving for awe, and so it has a very selfish trust and it's not doing the things in the world that the church used to do, right? We're taking less risks. With our church, we need to say God has provided for us so richly and deeply, materially, physically. We have every reason to trust God. Will we? Are we in awe of God? Are we willing to take risks for God? Are we being secure in what God has revealed? Are we being in awe of God for what he has told us? that we are his servants, part of his body, that he's given us the good news to share, but also what he hasn't told us, that we don't know the days of our deaths, we don't know that we might not be martyred or made fun of. I don't know the uncertainties of life, but I can be certain that I'm in his hand, right? If I have deep awe of God, it leads to deep trust. It doesn't automatically mean I won't have hard things. It means that I have deep trust and I know he is with me. So God wants us to have deep awe and deep trust. This is part of the gift of revelation. To rid us of shallow trust. To let us know that God is in control no matter what we go through in this world. That God has a plan no matter what. That we can trust in him no matter what. And therefore, we can have this mission to go out into the world to love and witness in ways that others may Uh, perceive as risky or you know that's you're going to get threatened or you're going to get made fun of or you're putting resources on the line that seems foolish right or you're putting your reputation on the line but we can say I'm in awe of the God who stepped out of eternity for me and became accursed for me became a servant for me was mocked and ridiculed for me I'm in awe of that God I trust him to take care of me, no matter what people would say to me, no matter what resources I put on the line. It's not about that. It's about the God I'm in awe of. And in Revelation, we see John, the human author, the one writing this down, he's in right awe of God. God is deepening, even this elderly man who's seen so many things, he's deepening John even further. And therefore, uh, he's helping John deepen these churches and their trust in God. They're seeing how sovereign God is and that God is working a great plan through history. And and deep trust, friend, means that in your daily life, do you trust that God is involving you in his eternal plan? That your conversations and your friendships and your family aren't by accident? That the place where you work or you go to school, God has something there for you to do, people for you to bless, people that you can be praying for silently all day, right? In your workplaces or schools. God has something for you to do. Do you trust that? Do you believe it? Do you lean into it? Well, John did, and so much so that he's having this vision, and then God brings him into the vision, right? God brings him into the vision and says, go up to this giant mighty angel and take that little scroll from his hand. Probably little in comparison to the angel, maybe not so little compared to John, but he tells him to go and take it, and then the angel tells him to eat it, and because John trusts God and he trusts God's angel. John eats this scroll like the prophets of old. He eats it maybe one bite at a time, chewing it up. Who, how chewy is it? I don't know, right? But it goes down. And now we see that he tastes this sweet but bitter scroll. And he is like Ezekiel or Jeremiah in the Old Testament that, that were prophets or teachers of God's truth who had to do the same thing. And he's taking in this, this sweet good news. It's sweet to the taste, but it becomes bitter in his stomach. And it reminds us that the word of God, the good news of God, can be a double-edged sword, right? A sword defends and protects, but it also can kill and wound. A sharp edge can, can, can do surgery, right? And get something out of us that needs to get out, but it can also harm us, leave us not the same, and kill us. God's good message is sweet news. We have a God who loves us, who who loves us so much that he became human and dies for us on the sin. But our sin, the bitterness of this truth is our sin was so ugly that it required the Son of God to become human, to be tempted in every way, to never sin, to become that perfect sacrifice, to die on the tree for for us, the cross for us, to become accursed for us. He needed to die in order to kill what was binding us, what was controlling us. The ugly side of the cross is that that is what was required for us to be forgiven. It's beautiful to see who God is. But there are tough realities to God's word and to revelation. There are tough realities to hearing about the darkness of humanity that won't repent, that won't give up control. It, it, it's hard, it's bitter to hear about the judgment and consequences for those who will choose selfishness and evil. That there are those people that we love that will reject God that will choose to be their own God and that because of that will face very difficult futures we don't rejoice at that that's the other side of the sword but the truth is and revelation has been showing us there is a very patient God who loves them and longs for them to turn to turn away from selfish living, to turn to him while there is yet time. So what are we to do? What is John to do? Well, while there is yet time, keep telling people, keep listening to the story, keep passing passing it on that there is a very honest God who is very loving. You're more sinful than you know and it required the death of the son of God, but you're more loved than you can imagine. We need to keep telling the good truth. That's what it means to prophesy. Keep telling the good truth. Keep telling it to the nations. Keep passing down the story of God. There will be other messages that seem just sweet to people. Be true to yourself. Stay who you are. This life is all there is. So pursue pleasure. Do what you want with your life. But John's role, and your role, every believer's role, who is really in awe of him is to trust that God wants me to go out and tell the sweeter truth. That yeah, has a better edge, we have to surrender. But the sweet truth that no, there is purpose. There is goodness, there is truth, and there is evil, and there is death, and there is judgment. Our job is to speak the actual truth to prophesy, to speak the truth, the sweet truth of an awesome God, of a God who knows even your worst secrets, your deepest fears, your insecurities, but who loves you far more than you even deserve to be loved. He just deeply, deeply loves you and wants to include you in his family. But he will require that all come honestly to him in faith. Lord God, by your spirit, would you help us to to remember and receive the parts of this message that are really for us? Lord, who do we need to speak the truth to? Where are we delaying, right? Where are we wanting certainty where you're not promising us certainty? Help us to trust you and obey. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Friends, Revelation is a practical book. What is God giving you today as you look at the next steps? What is he giving you today to really apply to your life? What did did you do last week with this message if you listened to last week's message? We're not supposed to just hear these messages and become gluttons. Oh, I know all about Revelation. No, 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 it's not the point. How is God using revelation to change you? How are you in awe of Him more? How are you trusting Him more? Consider an exercise of trust to listen to the whole book. But not just so you can say you did it, but to say, how, God, will you then deepen me through that experience? God, as you're praying, you could say, God, what do you... What are you wanting me to go out and do now? Now that I know that you have this plan. Show me your ways, God. Well, thanks be to God for his word, for this wonderful gift of the book of Revelation. Amen. Hello, friends. I truly pray that this message blessed you, and if you want to find out more about our ministries, or listen to other messages, or videos of our worship services you can check us out at palousechurch.org or search for Palouse Church on YouTube or check us out on Facebook or we are on uh, the Bible app there's different ways to find us you can always email me Corey C-O-R-E-Y at palousechurch.org to connect with me or send me a prayer request we really appreciate you connecting with us in this way And may God bless your day.